Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up? Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. I'm J.P. Hornstra with the Southern California News Group. Happy Monday. It is a happy day. Dodgers are guaranteed not to lose a game to the Giants. <laughs> we can laugh about this, right? Oh, man. Swept in San Francisco. I mean, when I think about some of the ways that the Dodgers lost to the Giants last season, you got Sheldon Noisy not stretching to make a catch at second base. Darren Ruff doesn't check his swing against Kenley Jansen with the bases loaded in the ninth inning. It doesn't get called. Lamont Wade cashes in the run. Trey Turner doesn't make the easiest, most routine throw that you will ever see a second baseman make. In the 11th inning, Buster Posey's safe. Man, that stuff gives me PTSD. This weekend, these three losses, look, this wasn't the most painful way that the Dodgers could lose to the Giants any of the three games. But that's not really saying much, is it? Saturday was pretty bad. Maybe not like PTSD-inducing bad. The three losses that I just mentioned from 2021, I didn't have to look them up. I didn't have to like Google them to recall exactly how those games turned against the Dodgers. Saturday... I don't know. I'm probably going to remember it as the day Clayton Kershaw came back, the day Walker Buehler was IL'd with the forearm strain. The game itself? Well, there was an error by Gavin Lux. There were lots of missed chances to cash in runners. Craig Kimbrell had a little meltdown. Dave Roberts didn't challenge a ball that may or may not have hit Brandon Crawford. Uh, Those never get overturned, though, right? When they're that close, even if the ump is wrong. And ultimately, all that added up to a one-run loss. That was bad. How much of that will I remember a year from now? Eh, probably I'll just remember the fact that the Dodgers got swept in San Francisco and they stopped hitting all of a sudden. I won't remember Friday's game. I won't remember Sunday's game. We can move on. But losing three to the Giants, that sucks. No way around it. Um, fortunately, the Dodgers had built up enough of a cushion in the standings that it didn't cost them. Not yet, at least. Walker Bueller's injury, though, that's a different story. That's the story of the week to me. No Bueller until maybe September, combined with the way that this team is hitting right now, means we've got some long-term questions, and and we're going to talk about those things today. Short-term, it's not great either. I mean, look, the Dodgers are in first place in the division, but they aren't the best team in baseball anymore. That's changed since May. They're not even the best team in the National League. I think the Mets have taken that baton, but that's the sort of thing that can change in a week. Bats pick up, you beat up on some lesser teams, rattle off a few wins, now you're feeling better about things. Bueller, though, he's your ace. He's your game one playoff starter your opening day starter. He clearly was not going right 
for the last month, month and a half. Fastball wasn't quite as fast as it was last year. I'm not sure if the main issue was that Bueller was not commanding the fastball or if that his margin for error is just that much lower when he's sitting 94-95 as opposed to 95-96. It felt like after every start, I would hear Walker Bueller say that he was pitching without his best stuff. But really until recently, he was pitching pretty well. He was managing it. Nine starts into the season, he was 6-1 and one with a 2.91 ERA. That's not a red flag there. Then the Pirates rough him up for a bit. Four runs in six innings, they hit a couple home runs. Next start, the Mets hit a couple more home runs, knock him out in the third inning. It's the shortest start of his career. And then Friday, four innings against the Giants, three runs allowed, leaves the game after 70 pitches, and who knows when we'll see him again. The one thing about Bueller's injury that offers some consolation, I feel like this explains why his fastball had lost some of its mojo. If it was nothing, right, if we were just looking at a 27-year-old who was losing the luster off of his best pitch for no discernible reason, that's arguably worse. At least now we can point to something as far as an explanation. You just hope that six to eight weeks of no throwing is enough. To me, without knowing the exact details of what's going on inside of Bueller's forearm, this has all the trappings of a conservative route, where there's like a more aggressive route for treating it surgically. Bueller's just going to hope rest does the trick. That doesn't always work, folks. Um, Again, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, but I'm not writing Bueller into my September rotation just yet. I'm hoping for it, but I'm not counting on it. Use pencil, not pen. That's all I'm saying. I will say this, though. The rotation, that's not the problem. In spite of Walker Bueller's struggles, in spite of Clayton Kershaw and Andrew Heaney missing as much time as they have, The numbers on the Dodgers starters this year are stellar. They are 27 and 11 with a 2.73 ERA. Yes, there are certain things that you worry about with the other guys. Tyler Anderson's track record of success is not very long. Tony Gonsolin has never been a number one or a number two or a number three in any rotation. Ever. He was a position player in college. I don't know if Mitch White is necessarily going to come up and throw four perfect innings every time you need Mitch White to make a start. And I don't know who Clayton Kershaw is going to be once he gets pitching every five days. Or Andrew Heaney. There are questions. Did you guys actually see what Mitch White, our first, last, and only guest on this podcast, did? Well, after those four perfect innings in Chicago, got sent to Oklahoma City. And then Sunday, he goes out and he throws five and two-third scoreless innings. That's the Dodgers' number five starter right now. Any team would take that. Rotation is not the problem. Even without Bueller, the Dodgers aren't going to have room for Mitch White because Andrew Heaney is coming back from IL soon. Dustin May comes back after the All-Star break. 
I think long-term, looking down the road in the regular season at least, this rotation will be fine. The only thing about this Bueller injury is that it might change how Andrew Friedman feels about the rotation at the trade deadline. It's a different look without your ace, without your number one guy. If Bueller is questionable at all for the postseason, I can't rule out the Dodgers making a move. Maybe it's for Frankie Montas. Maybe it's for Luis Castillo or Tyler Molly in Cincinnati. I don't know. A lot can happen in the next six weeks. All I'm saying is that could be an area the Dodgers look to upgrade at the deadline in spite of how well the rotation has performed. I kind of doubt it, though, because let's look at the lineup. Okay, OPS by month. In April, Dodgers had an OPS of 713. Now, that doesn't sound good, but remember, the league was not hitting very well as a whole. So relative to the rest of baseball, that 713 OPS was actually 13% above league average. In May, pumped it up to 801. That's better. But again, the rest of baseball was hitting better too, so the Dodgers were OPSing about 25% above league average. Now, June. The first 12 days of June, the Dodgers have a 682 OPS. That is 13% below league average. And if you look at the culprits who are driving that number down, it's four guys. It's Justin Turner, it's Mookie Betts, it's Cody Bellinger, and it's Freddie Freeman, all of whom have an OPS plus of 58 or lower for the month. Folks, that's bad. Especially when you consider that Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are hitting one and two every night. All the production right now is coming from Gavin Lux, Will Smith, Chris Taylor, and Trey Turner. And when you think about where those guys hit in the lineup, they're all spread out. No wonder you're seeing all these unsustained rallies. So when Dave Roberts kind of vaguely calls out the quality of the at-bats he's seeing, it's not as if he's calling out a lot of guys who are hitting a little below their season average. We're looking at four guys who are hitting well below their season averages. And it's Mookie Betts, it's Freddie Freeman, it's Cody Bellinger, and it's Justin Turner. It's those four. I'm reminded of the transition from 2018 to 2019. That offseason, the Dodgers got rid of Yasiel Puig and Yasmani Grandal, two guys who were good hitters in their own way, but they were also maddeningly inconsistent in their own way. Andrew Friedman brought in Russell Martin. He brought in A.J. Pollock, two guys who were models of consistency by comparison. Russell Martin has been able to draw a walk since he was catching Jonathan Broxton and Brett Tomko as a rookie. A.J. Pollock, at the time the Dodgers signed him, he get this, he had never played in more than seven consecutive games without collecting a hit. That's pretty special for somebody who had been in the league as long as Pollock had. One of the hallmarks of the Andrew Friedman era has been to give more playing time to hitters who are at least consistent. We've all seen what happens when a group of hitters goes into a group funk for at least a week. But I feel like it's been a while since we've seen that. The last two weeks of Justin Turner, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, and Freddie Freeman are the sort of production issues I haven't seen from hitters of this caliber in a Dodgers uniform 
since like 2018. That's how long it's been. Now we can nitpick what's happening in the bullpen. Some of the guys, especially Craig Campbell, I'm looking at you. Craig Campbell is supposed to be making us forget about AJ Pollock. But if you dig into the numbers, most of those guys have not been awful. They've just been kind of mediocre. Uh, you look at the bullpen as a whole, they're allowing a higher BABIP than usual. Batting average and balls in play is largely out of a pitcher's control. I think most of those guys at least would regress to the mean, come back to earth. But more than that, I would count on Dave Roberts to figure out how to use those guys better. Remember, a manager can do more to engineer his bullpen matchups than he can tweak his hitter-pitcher matchups to his favor. Like the manager can't see a, a pitcher coming in from the bullpen and say, hey, hey, Gavin Lux, you're a pretty good matchup for us against this guy. Why don't you go to bat? Uh, Dave, I, I made the last out last inning. Oh, that's right. My bad, Gavin. Sorry, I can't send you up to the plate. It's fundamental to the rules of baseball that a struggling bullpen can do more to get on track simply by choosing better opponents to face. Like Dave Roberts, he could make Yancey Almonte the closer and Caleb Ferguson the setup man tomorrow. Now, I'm not advocating that, mind you, but you get my point. If Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts are two of your weakest hitters all of a sudden, the fix isn't as obvious other than moving them down the lineup or giving them a day off. That's it. The one obvious thing you can do to help the bullpen is to take Mitch White and put him in there once Andrew Heaney comes back. Because as good as Mitch White has been as a starting pitcher, he's not helping you at Oklahoma City. And it's not hard to envision him in a Ross Stripling type role. That's what he came on the podcast last week and told us he was working on out of spring training, that hybrid type swingman role. Now Ross Stripling, he was and is an extremely effective right-handed reliever because he has trained as a starter. I think Mitch White could be that if and when the times call for it, and this might be the time. I haven't even talked about the part of this team that worries me the most, and that's the bench. Look, I, I love Hanser Alberto as much as anyone, but I think we can start to question the value of a guy whose OBP is 250 and only has four extra base hits in 64 plate appearances this season. Alberto, you remember, he was brought in as somebody who could mash against lefties, play a few different positions on the infield off the bench. Hanser Alberto has a 262 on base percentage and a 286 slugging percentage against lefties this season. He still has not drawn a walk against a left-handed pitcher. Let that sink in. And really, I shouldn't pick on Alberto because it's a team-wide problem. Hitters who have come off the bench to make a plate appearance for the Dodgers this season are slashing 167, 245, 313. That is bad. I don't want to bog down this episode with any more stats than I already have, so I'll just say that that is well below the league average for the split for bench production. And when we start to see journeymen like Kevin Pillar and Eddie Alvarez get what feel like auditions, it really starts to take on a very 2021 
Yoshi's Tutsugo, Billy McKinney, Andy Burns kind of quality. I don't think it's that bad yet. Like last year, the Dodgers did not go to those journeymen as their plan A. They had to try out and eventually cut bait with homegrown prospects like DJ Peters and Zach Rex and Luke Rayleigh. Seeing them fail, now that was hard to watch. Other than Zach McKinstry and Eddie Rios, we really haven't seen any homegrown players get at-bats in a bench role with any consistency this season. Rios is on IL, McKinstry's been up and down. There just aren't that many options right now. If you look at AAA, Michael Bush isn't off to a great start. Miguel Vargas is hitting quite a bit better than Bush, but he wasn't as hitting, hitting as well as Pilar and Alvarez were at the time that they were called up. Kevin Pilar, Eddie Alvarez, those guys were killing AAA pitching. They deserved the first crack on merit. It just hasn't worked. At some point, I wouldn't be surprised if Jake Lamb or Jason Martin has a locker at Dodger Stadium. Those are kind of the next guys you would point to. Again, is starting to take on a 2021 feel when you're name dropping guys like Jake Lamb and Jason Martin, but it hasn't worked. I don't know what else you're going to do. Bench guys, especially in 2022 with the Universal DH, their role is inherently limited. There are only three spots on the bench. Austin Barnes is guaranteed one of them, so we're really talking about two roster spots you can play with. The reason I'm pointing it out is because if you're going to gift Cody Bellinger or Justin Turner or Mookie Betts or Freddie Freeman a day off, who is going to take their place? The options have not been great, and I think that's why you heard Dave Roberts finally come out and be so unusually vocal about the quality of at-bats this weekend. When the superstars aren't performing, and you can't go to the bench in favor of a better hitter, what else is the manager supposed to do? I don't know. Anyway, that's my diagnosis of the moment. It's a good time for a day off. Angels are rolling into town tomorrow. Have you caught what's been happening in Anaheim? 14 consecutive losses. ESPN reported last night, because the Angels were on Sunday Night Baseball, that Joe Madden showed up or was planning to show up to the ballpark on Tuesday. He gets his hair shaved into a mohawk to try to snap this 14-game losing streak. Joe Madden is 67 years old, so I'll let you all guess the visual on that one. And then the general manager calls and tells him he's fired. So somewhere, Joe Madden is hanging out with a mohawk, (laughs) a motivational device on his head that he never got to use to motivate anybody. Kind of funny. Anyway, after they fired Joe Madden, they lost a few more games. The Angels ended up losing three or four to the Mets over the weekend with Phil Nevin in charge. It's not a good, pretty picture in Anaheim. The Dodgers catching the Angels at a good time. Tonight, the players can sleep in their own beds, wake up tomorrow, flush this weekend, 
some good omens on the horizon. We'll see what they do about the long-term problems. Right now, enjoy the off day. Dodgers are in first place. All is not lost. We'll talk about this all again next week. Thanks for tuning in. So long. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 